We're in the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verse 16. It says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon, celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Jesus Christ. It starts in verse 16. It says, therefore, and when you see the word therefore in Scripture, you find out what it's, what it's there for. And so that's the little hermeneutic that we all learn there. Or we're learning now, maybe. And so why did Paul say, don't let anybody judge you according to what you eat or what you drink or regarding a religious festival, a new building celebration or a Sabbath day? Because people were judging them according to what they ate and what they drank, according to religious festivals, according to new moon celebrations, or according to a Sabbath day. And Paul says that these things are a shadow of things to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ Jesus. And so Paul wants us to know why they were there. And so why, why is it that no one can judge us? Why are we not bound to these things or are free to celebrate them or not to celebrate them? It's very important. And the reason no one can judge them is found in the previous verses, verse 13. It says, when you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your, of your flesh... God made you alive with Christ and he forgave all of our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, then he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. You are free. Boom. (laughs) Too bad the mic's attached. I would drop it. But that's, I mean, you're free. Amen. The reason the Colossians were not to let anyone judge them in these matters is because God, the righteous judge, had already declared them innocent. And if God declares you innocent, if God declares you free, what does any lesser appeals court have to do with anything? Nothing. And so it's very important for them to know that they were forgiven, that their debts were canceled. He took it away, he kneeled it to the cross, and, and God justified them. And that's the religious Christianese word, which is very important, by the way. I don't want to you know, dismiss that. The word justified means that God declared you legally not guilty. He made it just as if you'd never sinned. That's what Jesus did for you. How many like being justified? And in, in the judge's eyes. Preach it, huh? (laughs) Totally. And if the Son has set you free, you are what? You are free indeed. I love that. And these turkeys that were coming into the church, they had no authority whatsoever to put them under any bondage that Jesus had set them free from. These false teachers were coming in and they were preaching a Jesus and gospel. A Jesus and gospel. Jesus and eating and drinking the right foods and refraining from, or eating, or refraining from eating and drinking the wrong foods. Right? You can, you can accept Jesus, but you also need to keep this dietary thing going on in, in your life religiously. 
And we'll get into what that means in a little bit. Or observing the Jewish feasts, the new moon celebrations or keeping the Sabbath. The Jewish feasts would be held once a year. The new moon would be monthly and the Sabbath is weekly. It's all laid out there under the Jewish law. In other words, you must do these things or not do these things in order to be right with God. Yes, Jesus, but and. And Paul says, no way. God declared you innocent when you believed upon Jesus who kept the law perfectly for us. He did what we could not do. I love that. And in Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is God in human flesh. And if you are in Christ, and if you've been born again by faith into Him, you've been connected with Him, you are one with Him, guess what? You're complete. You're complete in Christ. And legalists are still infiltrating the church today. Do you know this church? Today they will say you are saved by grace through faith, but you shouldn't eat pork. Or you can't observe Christmas. Or you should observe Christmas. Or you can only worship on a certain day, on a Saturday. Paul says to this in verse 17, these are shadows of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. How many of you know about foreshadowing from literature? It's something that is placed that gives you an idea of what something will be like. How many of you have stood on a hot day and had the sun piercing and you just can't help looking at your beautiful shadow on the ground or being complaining about your beautiful shadow? The shadow is not you. The reality is you. Correct? And Paul says all these old things, these things in the Old Testament under the Jewish ceremonial law were what? Shadows. Stop looking at the shadows. Look to the substance. Look to Jesus Christ. You're no longer under that physical law. You're now under the spiritual law, the law of the Spirit. And this is where it gets tricky, friends. And we'll talk about that. The reality is found in Christ. You see, all these Old Testament sacrifices were, were types of Christ. And when they're talking about what they eat, would eat and what they wouldn't drink, it was, re, it was regarding religious type stuff. You have to know that. And we'll, and we'll get into that in just a second Hebrews. I'm saying I'm going to get a lot into it. I'm going to unpack it. But there was the bulls that were sacrificed, the, the lambs, the goats, the doves. They were all pictures of type Christ. They were all clean animals. And only the clean animals could be offered without blemish. The first and the best were given in worship. And sometimes after the meal, the animal was sacrificed. The priest would be able to eat some. In some cases, the people would be able to partake of this, the sacrifice. And so too with Jesus, he was the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. He was the bull. He was the scapegoat. He was the dove. And we have forgiveness of sins through his sacrifice. And we are sustained as we feast upon him. That's hard. Jesus said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you all have no part of me, John chapter 6. That was a hard teaching because people were looking at, oh man, do I really need to eat your arm and drink your blood? And what is Jesus saying? That's a picture, that's a type of me. You must, you must feast upon me. I am your life. Every word I say sustains you. My death 
my blood. You know, my blood that takes away your sins. My body, by my stripes, you are healed. These are the things we're to feast upon. And people were concerned whether or not they ate a ham sandwich. And Paul's just saying, you don't get it. All those things were pointing, the clean and unclean was pointing to Jesus Christ. And Jesus has now cleansed and made everything clean. But he is those things. The animals and the drinks, the, the food, they were all foreshadowing Christ. The religious festivals that Paul speaks of here, all required by the ceremonial law, ceremonial law that the Jews were to attend these seven feasts. And they, I think they had to attend for three of them, but, but they were once a year. They had the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits and Pentecost, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement and Tabernacles. And just to go over a, two, a couple of them as shadows, uh, just the Passover, incredibly important in the life of the Jewish believer. The Hebrews were slaves of Egypt for the better part of 400 years. The people were in bondage to Egypt, a type of sin. And Moses was called by God, a type of Christ, to deliver them. And he did through ten plagues. And the, and the last and the worst of those ten plagues was that any home that did not have the blood of a lamb upon the doorpost would be under the judgment of God. And the firstborn would be killed from that family if they did not have the blood of the lamb on the doorpost when that night of the Passover came. The reason why I call it Passover is because whoever had the blood of the lamb on the door, the angel of death would pass over. They would escape judgment. Do you see the picture? Jesus died and his blood covers our sins and wipes them out. Therefore, when judgment comes, guess what happens? We are passed over because someone took our place. It wasn't the lamb that saved us. It was the lamb of God that saved us, you see? And their faith in that physical thing was to be directed towards a spiritual reality. And that's what he's constantly saying. The feast Passover. It was that foreshadowing of Jesus who shed his blood. And whoever appropriates, whoever puts that blood over their lives, you will be passed over. Praise the Lord. The Day of Atonement, just another one. This is Yom Kippur to the, to the Jews. Many of you have heard of Yom Kippur. It's the Day of Atonement, the day where the people of God had their sins atoned for, covered, not taken away, covered. Difference. For, at, for the high priest, he went into the holy of holies of the temple to atone or to cover the sins of the people with an offering. The way the temple was situated was there in Jerusalem. It was the high point of the worship. And at the outside, you had the outer courts. And as you kind of got in the middle, then you had more of the, of the people would hang out. We had the court of the Gentiles and the men would all hang out. And then you got into the area where only the priests could go. And they would start to do their sacrifices there. There was an altar. And then you had... A holy place where you got went inside and there was, there was uh, lamp stands and there was the showbread. But then there was this room that was blocked off by this big thick veil. And behind that was the Holy of Holies where the, the Ark of the Covenant was with the law of uh, the, the, the Ten Commandments. The absolute 100% perfect law of God. 
his righteous standard, which we all fall, fall short of, right? And then he had the manna, and he also had Aaron's uh, staff that had budded, all symbolic there. But then on top of the Ark of the Covenant was this, what they called the, the mercy seat, where these two angels would kind of touch wings almost at the top, their cherubim. And it was the picture of the throne of God who was over the law, but who desired to have mercy on his people. And what would happen, well, let's just read Hebrews 9. Flip over to Hebrews 9. It speaks to this. It's, it's better, much better than that. Hebrews 9. Flip right. <clears throat> Hebrews, James. For 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. Chapter 9. I'm going to comment a little bit while we're going here, but it says in Hebrews 9... Speaking of this day of atonement, it says, Now the first covenant, notice we're in the second covenant, amen? Mm -hmm. The first covenant had regulations for worship and also earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. And in the first room were lampstands with a table with its consecrated bread. This place was called the holy place. Remember, Jesus said, I am the what? And the bread of life. Very interesting. And there were lampstands. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The tabernacle with its consecrated blood, this was called the holy place. But behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had a golden altar of incense, which is the prayers of the people. And the gold-covered ark with the covenant, this ark contained a gold jar of manna, ear, and staff that had budded in the stone of tablets of the covenant. And above the ark were the cherubim of the glory overshadowing the atonement cover. We cannot discuss these things in detail now. <clears throat> Thanks. You're like, yay, let's go home. No. Verse 6. When everything had been arranged like this, the priest had entered regularly into the outer room. The priest entered the outer room, the one with the lamb, stand and the bread, carrying on the ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room. And that only once a year. And that's this day of atonement we're reading about. And never without blood. Never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people uh, who that they had committed in ignorance. And so the high priest had to sacrifice a bull to cleanse himself because he himself was sinful. Right? And the other priests in the temple who blow it all the time, if not outwardly, definitely inwardly. And the two goats, the two goats were provided. One goat would be sacrificed and killed on behalf of the people. And there, the blood would be sprinkled upon the altar. Okay? And you're going, what in the world is all this weirdness? It's all pictures. It's all foreshadowing what had happened at Calvary. And then the other goat, the priest would put his hands on that goat's head. And he would symbolically transfer the sins of the people upon that goat. And that goat would be released into the wilderness. Pretty wild. And so the high priest could not enter the Holy of Holies without blood because he himself was sinful. And the ministers were sinful. Ministering on behalf of sinful people. We've got a problem. Everybody's blown it. 
And so Hebrews 9 goes on in verse 8. It says, the Holy Spirit was showing, showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipers. Very important. The bulls and the goats and all that stuff, it could not truly cleanse our conscience. Why? Because it just covered. Something had to happen internally. They are only... And and this is the important lesson here at verse 10. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applied until the time of what? The new order. What is the time of the new order? The new covenant. And you see the food and the drink was looking to Christ. And it says in verse 11, but when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through that greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. So in other words, he's saying Jesus actually did in heaven what the high priest did on earth. You see, that was a a shadow of what truly Christ did. Does that make sense? That is to say, not a part of this creation. He went through the tabernacle that is not a part of this creation. So when you're going in this this temple, it was was to be built exact way because it's an exact replica in some way of heaven. I don't know how that works out. But the throne room, there's really a throne room. And there are angels bowing down, crying, holy, holy, holy. And no sinner can go in his presence at all, ever. Only perfect people. There's a problem. Especially me. (laughs) Especially that priest. But when Christ came as high priest, verse 11, of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater, more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, that is not part of his creation, that's heaven. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered. How? The most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. He purchased us. It doesn't happen every single year. It happens how many times? Once for all time, because he's not a sinner. It doesn't cover. It eradicates. He eradicated sin. And the blood of goats, verse 13, and bulls and the ashes of the heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, uh, unclean, sanctified them so that they are outwardly clean. That's what happened in the Old Testament. It was an outward cleansing. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? See, it's not an outward thing that happens anymore. What happens? We're changed from the inside out. All those things are outside. They're old covenant. They have meaning and purpose. And God's law is holy. Don't get me wrong. He sits enthroned upon it. But this outside, tablets of stone, what does he want? The heart. His law written on heart, lives by the Spirit. All these things, the religious foods and the drinks. We're pointing to Jesus. But it says, how much more than will the blood of 
Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from dead acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. And Jesus Christ died on the cross on the day of atonement. Did you know that? And when the heavens and earth shook, it says that the veil in the physical temple was what? Torn. What was happening? He was truly entering into heaven on our behalf. Or, or, or that, the sacrifice was made. The, the thing that kept, he entered into heaven three days later because he said he had not ascended. But the thing that had separated from us was now busted wide open through the blood of Jesus Christ. And the dirtiest of sinners, Captain Matt here, has direct access to the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. And I can run in that room and I can jump on his lap. Not only that, he ran to me. And he makes his home in my heart, in your heart. It's huge. Jesus was the bull. He was the goats. He was the scapegoat. And he is our high priest who went into the tabernacle, the real tabernacle, the real throne of God with his own blood. And it was his blood, the drink, that takes away our sins. And it was his body, the food, that heals us. Not eating or drinking or not eating and drinking something. Amen? Not observing or not observing a feast. Not observing or not observing a day. And also, it's important to know that Jesus, he's also our Sabbath. He is our rest. Our rest from dead works, Hebrews says. We don't have time to get into that. And all these things, the religious food and the drink and the festivals, they were all foreshadowing Christ. Now, if, if, if what they were foreshadowing has come, if Jesus has come, why should we look to those things any longer when we have Jesus himself? We have him. And so now we go, well, what the heck? You're going to be lawless. You're just going to be a lawless people. What did he just say? You are now people of the Spirit. You have the Spirit of Christ in you. Old Testament is ABCs, friends. New covenant is what? Life by the Spirit. You are ruled and governed by God in your heart. Are you ruled and governed by God in your heart, or do you need the law? You know, it's so beautiful, this picture I keep saying. There's a dog. Anybody have unruly dogs? You should try having a cat. All right, so well, you have a dog, and you, and you have, anybody have a dog that just will not come to you? What does it need? It's a leash, and also to be beaten and other things. But oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I can't say that. They taste great. <laughs> oh, sorry. They need a leash. Amen? Do you need a leash? Or do you know your master's voice? Is he living in your heart? And do you long to please him? And do you seek his word? Because you just long to enjoy him. So the law is no longer a means of righteousness. It's a way to enjoy him and to bless him. And love fulfills the law. Love fulfills the law. That's the answer. We are now filled with Christ. Jesus said, this is my command that you what? Love one another. Love one another. How? 
as I have loved you. And so Jesus is our model. And so, church, don't be fooled by shadows. Don't be fooled by shadows. Don't be fooled by the legalists that look at the shadows when you're no longer of this world. You're no longer shadow people. You are in Christ. You're seated with Him. And all those things pointed to Christ. And so Paul addressed the pressures of being, that were being put on the church to adhere to the old covenant regulations that were pointing to Christ. And so don't let anyone judge you next time you worship on a Sunday or eat ham sandwich or observe Christmas or don't observe Christmas. Dismiss them. You're now in Christ. Now there is a greater law. The law of what? The law of love. And so therefore, if me eating a ham sandwich causes someone to stumble and see Christ, Christ um, um, in a way that is, would not lead them to Christ, let's just put it that way, I will never eat ham again. Amen? Amen. Law of love, friends. Think of God, Jesus himself. He was pretty awesome in his heavenly state, and he decided to condescend and become one of us. He gave up so much to come and be with one of us that he might draw us back to, him, to, back to the Father. Amen? And that's the lives we're to live as Christians, lives of love. We lay down our lives that others might live. What does that mean for you? What has God called you to do? See, life by the Spirit is not a bunch of check, check, check. It is hearing him and obeying him in everyday circumstances. You see, we're... We're off the leash. We're unleashed. And what he, what he tells you to do, do. Now, I guarantee you, the Spirit's not going to tell you to go get back in bondage to sin. He freed you from that. And so when we say, you know, hey, you're free to eat and drink what you want. One, the context was ceremonial. Secondly, if you just eat ham sandwiches the rest of your life, you're probably going to die young. And thirdly, I mean, there's just some real practical things, right? But don't mix that up with righteousness. Be very careful about that which we do. But realize none of that stuff, the days of the week, all that stuff, none of that has to do with your rightness or unrightness before God. Jesus did all that for us. But now His Spirit lives in you, and now you are under the law of His voice. And it will not contradict His word. So, that's important to know. We want to grow up in that. I do. So don't let anyone judge you next time you worship. Or whatever it is. Dismiss those things. But remember, you're under the law of love. And and another thing Paul warns them not to allow in verse 18, and this will go quickly. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Another thing he says, don't let anyone who delights in the false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. And they are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head. That's Jesus. They've lost connection with him, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Again, by way of review, there were those who were buying into the early form of Gnosticism. And that is the belief that secret knowledge leads to a person being saved or right with God. Secret knowledge. I know this is kind of a weird thing, but... but Coming from God, it was the belief that coming from God who is good were all these emanations, perhaps angels. And each one kind of is the further they got away from God, they became uh, less 
like the original until one of these things finally created the earth. And therefore, all material things are bad. Therefore, Jesus couldn't have come in the flesh because God is good. And there's this big discussion. But if you, were, if you really wanted to get back to good, you had to level up. You had to pray to each one of these angels and find out the secret knowledge. You could jump to the next one. And only certain guys had that information. By the way, I have a table out, out there for if you want to talk to me afterwards about that. I'm just kidding. That's what, you know, they were pulling, right? I have the secret knowledge for you. Paul says, man, this is ridiculous. And we might go, you know, hey, you know what? We don't really deal with that. We don't really deal with that today. You know, all this praying to angels stuff very, very much. But, you know, we do have a lot of really well-meaning people who pray to saints and to Mary. You know, and I'm not here to knock people. People have different backgrounds, and I understand. Believe me, I grew up doing some weird stuff in the name of God. Anybody else? Yeah, so don't, this is not, you know, beat up time, but that's some, that somehow a, a saint has special in, insight into a situation, secret knowledge. Careful. You know, the scriptures tell us how to pray and who to pray to. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 6, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. And then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you openly. Jesus says to pray to the Father. And there's several other examples of that. No, nowhere in Scripture ever do we see anybody praying to the saints. The only thing is we have like in Revelation something or other where the elders are around the, the front of God, and they have the, they're holding the incense, which are the prayers of the saints. But to take that verse and to say that therefore we pray to them to get to God is totally out of, out of whack. They're privileged to hold the incense, whatever that means. I don't understand. But Jesus said, pray to your Father. Never are we called to pray or to worship anyone else. We're to pray to God. We're encouraged to pray without ceasing. The Father isn't too busy and he longs to hear you. Speak directly to him. Remember what Jesus did on your behalf? He busted the room wide open, right? And so you could run into him and enjoy him. And sadly, praying to saints is not going to work. They're not involved with answering prayers. Angels are in response to what God tells them to do. We don't pray to angels, we talk to God. Angels are messengers of the Lord to do his will. But they're not involved. Daniel chapter 10, when Daniel prayed and he interceded to, to hear from God, the angel finally got to him and he said, hey, listen, the moment that you started praying, your hairs, your, your hairs, I'm doing really great this morning, your, your words were heard, the, the Father heard you. And so, don't pray to saints, let me just say that, they're not going to help you out, your Father is. And, and the, the only one in between us and the Father is Jesus. He's our mediator. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ, who totally gets what it's like to be human. Amen? And yet to not sin. So anyone who's trying to get you to pray to anyone but the Father through Jesus, they're dangerous. They're misinformed. And as Paul says in verse 19, 
Back in Colossians chapter 2, they have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God calls it to grow. In other words, praying to saints or to dead ancestors or to angels or whomever, it's, it's, it's lifeless. It's, it's disconnected from Christ. Hebrews 4.16 says, So let us come boldly before the throne of grace, our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. You know, if you've been one to pray um, to saints or something else, you're missing out. You're missing out. And go directly to the source. Go to your Father. Repent and turn from that medieval practice and go to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is our way. Go directly to your Father, amen, through his blood. So, now finally, Paul reminds the church that they're no longer a part of this world. Verse 20, since you died with Christ, the elemental spiritual forces of the world, why as though you still belong to the world, do you submit yourself to his rules? So as reiterating what he said, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teaching. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. Oh, don't they? If I do eat this, I don't eat that. Oh, then I will be more spiritual. Oh, yes, I will. Oh, look at them. My gosh, look at them just so spiritual because they eat this or don't eat that or do this and do do that this is what paul says about this stuff such regulation deeds have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence Paul, again, wants the church to know that we who have put our faith in Christ died with Christ. In other words, our old life ruled by the flesh, its desires, and the rules and regulations that would, you know, cause sin to jump up within us. All these other things no longer apply because we have now been born of the Spirit. Don't put yourself under the ceremonial Jewish law again. Don't do it. It no longer applies to you. It seems wise not to eat a ham sandwich, you know, for righteousness or whatever this, because they're unclean or this, that. But you are no, no more spiritual if you eat it or if you don't. Actually putting yourself under those kinds of laws doesn't stop the real problem, which is our sinful nature. And that's what Paul's talking about. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility... And they're harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value of restraining sensual indulgences. But let me tell you, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. You want to have a weight loss program? You be filled with the Spirit. And you listen to Jesus talk to you about what you eat and you don't eat. I need a little bit more of that, amen? But as I tell, you know, different people, if you're on Pluto, you're, you know, you're two pounds, so it's all relative. <laughs> I know, that doesn't really work, does it? All the women are like, okay, we're going to get him. So you, guys struggle too. But the solution to restraining sin in your life is not law. Now let me tell you that God created law. And law is a good thing to have in society. And I think personally it's nuts when we take away laws. Because without law, there's nobody to enforce good. And evil is unrestrained. No, it does not change the heart of a person, but I tell you what, it holds them accountable. And that's important. There's a difference between government and, I believe, the church. 
But the solution to restraining sin in your life is not law. Law shows us that we want to sin more. Don't do this, and what do I want to do? Oh, heck, I started thinking about that. Just me again, I know it. But the solution is life by the Spirit, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. No longer living on this plane, but living filled with the Spirit. Let Christ live in and through you. Chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. The resurrection. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. You see, we died to Christ to this world. What we eat and drink in this world makes us no more spiritual or unspiritual. When it, concerning salvation, Jesus makes us whole by faith in Him. And so we put our eyes on Him because we have been raised with Him. A new life, church. We're in a new life. I love having new life. Amen? Life by the Spirit. So we put our minds and our hearts on Him. Where are your minds and your hearts? Where's my mind and my heart? Where your heart is, your treasure will be also. Jesus says, let me captivate your mind. How many of you are focused on this election and getting depressed? <laughs> My gosh. You know, would you like a hand grenade to go off or a dirty bomb? You know, it's like... <laughs> You know, I, I'm just saying, you know, by the way, pray and vote, um, vote biblically. We're, Jesus is not on the ballot, just to let you know. He isn't on the ballot. So I just do whatever will, res, res, whatever will allow biblical stuff to go forward the most. That's my personal opinion. You know? Yeah, that's where I'm at. And so the, the, we live in a fallen world. You think, you know, the guys in Rome were like, hmm, should I vote for, uh, you know, the Roman emperor here who was killing Christians, or should I not vote for it? It doesn't make, they were just, they got in trouble. They had no choice to do what they wanted to do. So we have a choice. We have the ability to get into things. So I want to encourage you to pray and just vote your conscience in that. Vote biblically is what it is, his conscience, his voice in that. Don't let it bug you, though, because ultimately Jesus is coming back to get us. And we want to live right now for him. And whether the day quickens and it gets worse or it slows down and it's prolonged, more people come to him, praise the Lord either way. But the solution for us is living the resurrected power, having our eyes and our minds focused on Jesus. When your mind is upon Jesus Christ, there's life in your, in your, in your being, in your body, in your, the way how you live. But when my eyes are on the world and on whether I should and shouldn't eat this sandwich and all this type of stuff, or whatever it might be, then I get pretty depressed. Put your eyes on Jesus. Put your minds and heart, uh, hearts on Him. My, when, my, when my thoughts are upon Him, I'm not focused on the do's and don'ts of this earth, but rather on what pleases Him. And that's the difference of it all. We're not in the do's and don'ts. We're, on, we're in a relationship with God. We're in a relationship to say, does this please you? Does this glorify you? Does this make your heart happy? And that's how you make decisions. Isn't that a totally different way of doing things? How many of you have a husband or wife that gives you a checklist of do or don'ts? That's a crummy relationship. But I tell you what, life by the Spirit is getting to know that person, finding out their inner workings and what pleases them and what doesn't pleasing them and living according to those things. I tell you, it helps out. Still working on it. 
that the Lord, he would have us put our minds and his hearts on him. So, see, my life is now lived to please the Lord. My life is hidden in him, and now I live for his pleasure. Do you live for the pleasure of God? It's no longer worship on this day so I will be right with God. It is you worship every day. And today I set aside because I love you and I want to be with you and your people today. And I love them. And I want to, as we hear your words, you know. So since we've been raised with him, put your eyes on him. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Your life is in Jesus. I love that. When Christ, who is your life, Positionally, you're saved, but practically, is he your life? What's your life? What dominates your time, your, your thoughts, your energy, all those types of things? I mean, truly, we can be at work, but have, be preoccupied with the Lord, amen? Then, in other words, wherever he puts us, that's, that's his mission for me, my kingdom, right? Amen. Are we preoccupied for Jesus? Is he our life? Or are you walking around your day going, Lord, what do you, what do you think about this situation? What are you doing? How, why have you put me here? Why have you put them here? What can I do? What can I say? How can I live? How can I react that would show and reflect what you would do and say and act? I want you to shine, Jesus. So, when he is your life, that's, that's a life-changing thing. I love that. When Christ, who is your life, when your life appears, then you also appear with him in glory. Church, Jesus is our life. Focus on your new life, the person of Jesus. He's coming for you or you're going to be called to him shortly. Either way, he is your life. Either way, he's going to appear and you with him. You died to this earth. You were raised. Don't let any legalists ensnare you. Don't let the lifeless pursuits ensnare you. But hear him. Be unleashed, amen? And enjoy him. And just live for Jesus. Amen. Lord God, we just give you this morning. We want to thank you for your word. And we ask that as the seed was cast, Lord, that it would go deeply into our hearts and it would bear fruit. I'm praying for the heart this morning, Lord, that struggles with uh, that legalistic relationship with you. Lord, you desire to have a love relationship. And Jesus, we know that God the Father is just. And he demands justice. And Jesus, your sacrifice on the cross met those demands. And we're declared innocent. Not to be ruled by the law again, but now we're sons and daughters. Now we have a love relationship. And so, Lord, teach us to walk in the Spirit. Will you take this little church, Lord, and fill us so mightily today with your love. So mightily today with a sense of your voice in our hearts and our lives. Just fill us with that, Lord. That we would go and be your people in whatever circumstance you place us in. And so for the heart that is burdened down by legalism, Jesus would call out to you this morning and say, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'm going to give you rest. Come to Jesus. He did it all for you, and now lean on him.
And I know there's some in this, here this morning go, I don't know how to hear his voice. Ask. Ask. Say, God, teach me to hear your voice. And then follow. Open the word. Start asking questions. Change your life. Put, it, put, put him first. Seek first the kingdom. He'll lead you. He'll speak to you. He'll show you over time. And we ask these things, Lord, that you would just make us the church who hears your voice. In the name of Jesus, amen.